Recorded at Get a Grip Studios in Toronto, Canada. A Get a Grip management production and in association with the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Financially supported by the good folks at the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, this is Restoring Darkness podcast. This episode of Restoring Darkness is brought to you by Evluma. If you're serious about contributing to the reduction of light pollution, go to evluma.com, hover over products, and click on Dark Sky Friendly Lighting. Both the Omnimax and Max lights are International Dark Sky Association certified. The warmer color temperatures of the Omnimax reduce the more easily scattered blue wavelengths, which contribute to glare and sky glow. With Max lights, you get full cutoff, which also means no uplight and a significantly reduced contribution to sky glow. And all of Avluma's outdoor lighting product lines come with dimmable drivers for even more control. If your customer is looking for dark sky friendly fixtures with energy savings while still meeting the demands of decorative lighting, look no further than Evluma. Evluma, illuminating the pursuit of dark skies. Welcome back to the Restoring Darkness podcast. On today's show, I have Ron Kuzmar from Port Lighting Systems. Now, all you darkness lovers out there in that, you know, we went through a phase where we really point, made the ethical and moral case for darkness and darkness restoration. And I'm going to bring on another guy like Peter Brown who doesn't know anything about darkness or dark skies <laughs> or anything else. But we're going to talk about controls. And we're going to talk about the possibility of controls within the darkness movement and why it's so important and why it's so ignored. Hey, Ron Kuzmar, how's it going, brother? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Thank you very much. No problem. Hey, just so the listeners know, you you actually help us out on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast with uh, Web Marsh, where you guys talk about lighting controls quite a bit. Yep. And you're also, I guess we could call you a controls integrator by trade. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Okay. So tell me about the scope of your knowledge and, you know, be humble, you know, not be humble, whatever, with respect to the darkness restoration and preservation movement or dark skies. Just let the audience know how little or how much you know about that. Yeah, no, that's fair. So I will start off by saying I don't know a ton, right? Uh, it has come up from time to time. You know, we do a lot of architectural lighting. And so dark sky compliance, while to my understanding, there's not like a formal necessarily a code for it, right? Certain cities have adopted some semblance of dark skies, some haven't. Um, we have had people that say, hey, we, we want to at least be cognizant of this and we want to, you know, turn the lights down at a certain time and we want to turn them off at a certain time. Um, so they are at least cognizant of that. Um, but, it, you know, we as far as much more than that, we haven't had too much to do with it. Yeah, and so most so has most of the lighting industry is kind of in the same boat there where, you know, people are becoming more and more aware that, you know, this is an issue and perhaps it's an issue we've made worse with LEDs. And there's arguments on both sides. I mean, the societal benefit of energy efficiency is important. Um, and, you know, while we acknowledge that, you know, we look at, you know, some of the light fixtures that are in LED, they're 5,000K, there's a lot of wasted light and so on. And so we're reflecting on that now as an industry. My question for you as an integrator um, is the business case for lighting controls is something that 
I would consider to be in development. You know, it's something we're working on. Uh, would you say that's a fair statement? Yeah, I would. I'd say that's fair because it's when you talk about controls, right? When you look at it from a theatrical or architectural standpoint, you know, for for you know exterior building lighting, color changing, right? That's pretty straightforward. But you, when you start getting into more you know, city lighting and street lighting and things like that. I'd say that's where things really are still really in sort of development phases because it's never been a prime concern for people in the past. They turned on, they turned off. Well, you know, I'm going to push back a little bit there. And I think that maybe we just don't understand each other. I think that the the average building, standalone building, okay, so you have let's say, an office tower or a factory. Yep. Inside the building, we're still developing the business case for lighting, like for advanced lighting controls, connected lighting controls, digital light, whatever the terminology you want to throw at it. Yes. You're in there, you're doing a lighting upgrade, you know, and you're capturing most of the energy savings with the lighting upgrade. And then you're inserting controls and we're trying to, you know, as an industry, create a business proposition for that. Now, when it comes to municipalities and street lighting, I think the business case is so obvious in front of us when it comes to darkness preservation, dark skies, wildlife, migrations, and the rest of it. The money may not be there or is there. That's a different question. But certainly mm -hmm. the capability and desire to control outdoor lighting is much more obvious when it comes to outdoor lighting for municipalities than it got, it does for the average business owner inside of a building. Can we agree on that? Yeah, no, I can certainly agree on that. I think from my standpoint, the challenge with municipalities has always been that they didn't necessarily have the infrastructure in place to have a control system for their fixtures previously. Yes, agreed. And they nobody's in the mindset. I, I think this is never my municipalities. I don't think anyone's in the mindset of, hey, I now have control over my light fixtures. I don't think there's really right. many people outside the, you know, in, except the, um, you know, um, sorry, my mind is, uh, I'm losing my train of thought here, except for people in theatrical lighting. They're very yep. used to controlling lighting. But outside of that space, the average building management um you know, group is not really looking at that deep control that's available to them now. But my, 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 my perception on this issue is that there are way more reasons to control outdoor lighting than there is to control indoor lighting that, and it does not relate to energy efficiency. And that's what I'm right. asking you. And how difficult do you think it would be for the industry to make that business case and to create software and train people to do that. Do you think that will be more difficult for municipalities or, or do you think it would be less difficult or less challenging? That's my question. Uh, yeah, it's a great question. And I think the use case is certainly there, right? And uh, I think the challenge comes into how do you implement the control system, right? When you take a municipality and you think about all the street lights, you're basically have two options. You either have to do some sort of wireless mesh where, you know, you basically fixtures act as repeaters and you communicate with them all that way, which multiple manufacturers currently have that technology, or you have to look at some sort of hardwired solution. And then, but it really comes down to, are we looking at, at a per fixture level or are we looking at groups of fixtures, right? Because if we're doing it 
on the power side where maybe we can dim through a fixture or do it that way where we're doing through a group. So you're dimming through all of A Street and all of B Street or however you're doing it, right? So the question is, how does that control get implemented in a way that doesn't break the bank? I think that's the big thing. It certainly is necessary, but how do you do it without breaking the bank? Hmm. So cost, always the primary issue with um, these you know, the equipment, the commissioning, everything, you're adding cost, you're adding complexity, which adds cost. So, you know, let, so you're saying street A, street B or area light A or whatever. We have a bat migration. Um, to me, I could totally see the a city hub where lights were being controlled, um, color tuned, um, dimmed, uh, you know, turned off completely, you know, so let's say there's, you know, you're on a interstate highway and there's turtles nesting. Maybe we just put a sign that says the lights are off, drive at your own risk. We, we, we actually care enough about the turtles nesting patterns in order to change the color of this light to 1900 Kelvin. And we're going to operate it at 50% capacity for the next six weeks. That's not difficult to do, is it, Ron? You think that would be no, a difficult no. thing to do? No, I don't. I don't think it would be difficult to do. And then, but it, you know, like I said, it comes down to how are we controlling the fixtures? If it's individual fixtures, right, you can easily do that. If it's groups of fixtures, then so be it, right? This entire group is either this color temperature and this intensity, or the group is off, right? Um, mm. But I don't think it's crazy complicated. I mean, the the technology is there, right? So let's think about. Um, streetlights. All the municipalities can monitor their streetlights. They can see what they're doing. They can adjust schedules of green lights and red lights. So the technology mm -hmm. is there. We need the lighting manufacturers to now steal that sort of technology from what their municipalities are already using. And then you could very easily have that central hub. You could very easily do exactly what you're saying now and monitor that from a central location. Yeah, like the see, see, right now we're in a situation where there's this battle between in the in the darkness preservation and restoration movement. How do we get around the safety argument? You know, yeah, you know, because actually light does deliver a certain amount of safety, and that's evi that that's evidence based. Like there's evidence yep. to prove that increases in light, you know, correspond to increases decreases in certain types of crime related to. Yep sneaking around, you know, burglaries, murders, whatever it is. People will behave better if there's lights on them. Um, and that can't, you know, while that can be adjusted and honed, so people could say, well, actually, that's not totally true, and we can make improvements here. We do know that electric light is is essential to public safety at night, right? So, Agreed. But, yeah. But if we were to then say, we're going to implement this control system, which, um, you know, during summer months or during times of periods of high crime, we, you know, we can actually adjust it and make it make the, the beam spreads wider. We can increase mm -hmm. the intensity of the light. Um, we can we can test different areas that are prone to crime with different color temperatures and compare the results. Um, and what I'm trying to get out as a controls integrator and somebody you told me you make these like portals or whatever where you yep. you can actually adjust the lighting and see the different you know zones and stuff on a computer system yep 
I cannot get away. And maybe it's not just darkness preservation and restoration. It's everything with outdoor. I think we're wasting our time inside. Actually, I think the controls play is far more interesting in in municipal street lighting and outdoor lighting than it is in inside. And I don't see anybody ever talking about it, Ron. Um, could you not see your company, um, uh, I'm just going to uh, port lighting systems, with a, a municipality saying, you know what, we're actually going to do this with you guys and we're going to train one of your people along with one of ours to go ahead and commission this and we're, gonna, and we're going to create areas of the city that are dark sky friendly and we're going to monitor them and, and then we're going to make areas that you know, have higher light levels and compare and contrast different experiences and, and user feedback and you know, how people feel about the lighting and so on and so forth. I see that as way more powerful, Ron. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do agree. I think it definitely is more powerful. There's a lot more because there's a lot more space outside, right? I mean, yes, yeah. there's a million buildings, but a lot of these buildings aren't occupied after 5 p.m., right? Yeah. So the, they're, the bigger use case really is exterior. And it could be as simple as color temperature and intensity because you, you are right. Half the issue now is you go from one city to the next and there's different color temperature lights. Hell, you can go from one side of the street to the other to the and it's next. different yeah, color sure. temperatures. Or you right? can have HPS and 5,000 KLED right beside each other. Yeah, it's, it's, wild. it's brutal. So color tuning would be huge. You know, intensity. I mean, you could go as far as, you know, adding motion sensors, right? I mean, we do this a lot inside too, where you go down a hallway and the lights are on at 20% or 10% for night for safety. And upon motion, they come up to full intensity for so long and then dim back down again. Mm -hmm. There is absolutely no reason you couldn't do that in even some of those higher crime potential areas, right? Because there's not necessarily going to be something going on every night, but you, you could certainly have a ton of energy savings and the, the additional controls by doing something like that with motion sensors as well, where, you know, if it is a, an issue with turtles nesting or bird migration, you could set a color temperature at a lower intensity. And then upon a person coming through, we, you know, we can either change the color temperature or leave it, raise the intensity, do what you need to do. The, and, and the other thing too, you know, I remember the problem with HPS and metal halide and these other technologies is the deionization and reionization of the lamps when they're de-energized. And, mm -hmm. you know, for people not in the lighting industry listening to the Restoring Darkness podcast, that means they can't turn off and on or be dimmed quickly. And if they are dimmed, they have different issues and so on. With LED, we can do very incremental dimming. So things yes. can be dimmed in a manner in which the person under it wouldn't even be perceptive to the dimming. So if you, if you were to lower a light level by 50% over the course of three minutes, nobody will notice that. Even the right. people under the light probably won't notice that the lights have been dimmed down 50%. They just won't notice it because their, their, um, their eyes will adjust. And right. so because we have such deep control over LEDs, and even if you color tuned it, so if somebody started off standing under a 5,000K light fixture and over the course of 10 minutes, that light fixture was dimmed by 50% and the color changed from 5,000 Kelvin to 2700 Calvin, I would bet you dollars to donuts, people wouldn't even notice. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Some people would, right? They wouldn't notice the intensity change. People would all of a sudden notice something looks slightly different because of the color temperature. But you'd have the other half who would just all of a sudden look around 15 minutes later and go, I swear it was brighter in here, right? But 
Um, but no, you're out right. Here. I mean, and, and out here, yeah, out here, outside. out here. Right. Well, it's, we deal with this a lot inside, right? So in dealing with lead compliance and daylight harvesting in a lot of buildings and schools, this is exactly what we're doing now upon, you know, X amount of light coming in from the natural light coming in. We adjust the typically just intensity. We're not usually dealing with color temperature as well, but you could. And you adjust the intensity down until a point where if there's enough daylight coming in, the lights inside are are off, right? So those mm -hmm. one or two rows usually by the windows get turned off because there's enough natural mm -hmm. light coming in. We don't need the electric light. So it's really the same sort of principle here that we're talking about. And people don't notice that. We, we do that dimming over five, 10 minutes. People have no idea the light even went off. Mm -hmm. It, 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 it's actually unbelievable how little people will notice lighting if you, if you increase the time frame in which it's changed. And there's yep. another element to, to this, which I think is interesting. If we embedded controls, deep controls, like the kind we're talking about, ability to color tune incrementally and times at which the lights start to dim and how fast they dim and, and they dim it and they morph their color temperature along the way. Imagine that various different experiments I, I don't like the word experiments but the various different research you could do on communities that you do even if like you know there's even talk of being able to control shielding of lighting right so mm -hmm. there's a mechanical control which increases the shielding so it dials it down and dials it down so that you know the, the light becomes more focused there's less light spilling out of the fixture and so on this technology yep. is available we can do it um and people could could you know look at different neighborhoods and you could come up with the optimal color temperature for safety but also for not being too white and bright at night i don't know what the word for that is ron but there is yep. um an argument that you know there's a human health play here if if white lights are shining into someone's window they're not sleeping as well you 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 commission that fixture to close its um or tighten its a cutoff so that it, it yep. just does the sidewalk and the road and yep. then the color temperature gets lowered when you know when there's less than you know three or four occupants per hour and it doesn't come up if that occupancy increases then you can you know increase the light you know what i'm saying there, it's I just do. such a wonderful place to play around and i hear nothing from it from the controls guys hardly ever yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. And, and especially with, like you said, with fixtures, we don't need those giant glare bombs on the side of the roads anymore, right? Giant glass globes. And but how many times have you driven down the street in some rural community or, or down the city street and you see the backsides of them spray painted black because the people don't want the light in their house, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I've seen that more often than not where I'm just driving around through areas here in Boston and you'll see people have actually spray painted them because they don't want the light in their house. Because it, I understand the old sort of aesthetic look of that type of fixture and everything else, but it doesn't do anything for us anymore, right? Yeah, okay, it looks pretty, but it doesn't do anything for us from a standpoint of, you know, dark sky, or, you know, we, we, we have so much ability to control light now with LED, there's zero reason to have fixtures like that on the market. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are prison yards. So we do need to light prison yards like prison yards, okay? And so, the, the, you know, when I think about it, um, you know, the kind of spectrum is, you know, uh, national park to prison yards. What is the, the way that we can accommodate 
all living things on the planet and, and, and solve the problems in between those two things. You know, for me, beauty matters. Um, you know, unwanted light is glare, right? So we're not describing things correctly all the time. You know, light is not just safety. It's also glare. It's also light trespass. Yep. Um, and you know, the, the, you know, one of the things that I think contributed, and I've said this a couple times on the podcast, this podcast is that I, if you look back at the, at the, um, some of the, uh, riots of 2020, um, you know, uh, as the, the day went by, you know, you saw the, some of these situations morph into of a more violent situation. And what I noticed about it was the ones at night, you could see perfectly. Mm-hmm. You understand what I mean? Like it was almost as if it was daytime with the street lights, And so people could see, whether whatever your opinion on Kyle Rittenhouse is, I don't really care. The fact is that Kyle Rittenhouse was standing in the middle of the street and you could see him perfectly in the middle yep. of the night. And I wondered to myself, and then somebody ran towards a man, an armed man or whatever that situation is. And I, again, like I said, this is not to d- discuss people's particular feelings on that event. But the fact that people were filming that and it was so visibly clear in the middle of the night tells us something about how humans are behaving in these situations under these lights. And I wondered to myself, if somebody was at the controls, Ron, and let's say Ron Kuzmar is in charge of wherever that happened. I think it was in Wisconsin somewhere, wasn't it? And was saying, you know, Ron, give me a 50% dim over the next 10 minutes or 70% dim, and I want you to warm those lights up. And I want to see if it has an effect on whether people start to go home or not. Right. You know, I wonder yep. if that, if we could cue people, because we do that in theaters, you know, we tell people yep. to quiet down when the lights come down and they do. Yep. Right? Uh, we yep. tell people to go home in bars by turning the lights up. Yeah. And I yep. wonder if there was some way that we could, you know, that people were being negatively cued to stick around because the lights were so bright. And everybody could see everything. And so there was this perception of um, not safety, but the ability to be aware of everything that kept people there longer than they normally would. You know, have I unpacked this crazy thought enough for you? Or do you understand what I'm saying? No, I totally understand what you're saying. And you're right. I mean, it's possible. Like maybe maybe changing the intensity and the color temperature would have been enough, or maybe you could, they could have, you could flash the fixtures if you needed to. Right. I, I, I don't, yes. I don't know what the right answer is in that scenario, but there would have at least been options. Right. And, and you're right. There would, in order to get to a point where we have those options, it needs to be installed. Some case studies need to be done, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you could, you could figure it out. It could be figured out, should be figured out. I like the way I see it is a lot. If you ask a police officer and we had him on the get a grip on lightning podcast, I can't remember the name of his former police officer. I can't remember what the name of the association he works for, but it has to do with studying light related to safety. And if you ask police officers, Oh yeah, we always want more light, but I'm not sure that's all that's true. I think light, um, definitely reduces burglar kind of sneaking crimes, like crimes when people are trying to sneak around. Yes, but I think too much artificial light uniformly placed in certain areas 
will also, and this is a hypothesis, like you said, we don't know, but it's hypothesis, will cause people to stay out later than they should and be under the perception that they don't have to go home or something. And if we were to then cue them, like if there was a, a protest, say, and the protest was spilling into the evening, if you were to yep. tell the cops, you know what we're going to do? We're going to warm the color temperature of the light down to 1900, and we're going to reduce it by 75%. The police officers might say, that's crazy, don't do that. Well, we tried right. it in this other town, and everybody went home, actually, when we did that. Yep. It cued them to go home. I'm wondering if we were able to try that, at least try these different scenarios, if they would work. It, would that be something that, you know, port could work on with a city if the, the fixtures can be made can the software mm -hmm. be made to do that by zones absolutely i mean it, it right it absolutely can the fixtures can be made the software could be made whether that's by the manufacturer or if it needed to be a third party if, if the if the fixtures allowed open source right what however the control was done so yeah it's it's absolutely possible you know there's no reason something like that couldn't be done and how would you then, um, if you were looking at those zones, and I'm speaking very technically to you here, just you know, lighting dorks talking to one another. If you were to look at a set of zones, how would you have visibility into that? Could you program like a Google map into that where you could plot the street lights where they are and see the illuminances projected on that and you know, in kind of not real time, but sort of, as you dial them down, you could say, yeah, dial down West 49th up to 6th Street and, you know, lower the, the warm it up and, and lower it by 50%. Could you actually interact with that on a map? Yeah, I don't, I mean, absolutely, right? I mean, anything's possible, right? It, so it's just a matter of the coding. But yeah, you could absolutely pop a map in as a background and drop the fixtures over that. I mean, that, that's basically what we do now for a lot of our installs, right? We will we'll populate a map, we'll drop the fixtures on over it, and then that way the end users can select the fixtures that they need to and, and they can control them that way. So it's no different. It, it's just a larger scale, but it could absolutely be done. And so if you were dealing with sort of, you know, I don't know if, if Scott, the producer, can remember the name of this, the Autobahn Society, that's what they're called. And they were to approach the state of Oregon and say, you know what would be really great? We got these 15 bird migrations a year and we're having all this problem. Uh, if we were to plot these into a Google map or whatever, into a, a let's call it not Google, a digital mapping program. And we mm -hmm. showed you where they flow or fly every year. And we want you to set up zones in your highway and transportation lighting or whatever, where these lights are now turned down to 1900 Kelvin from October, say the beginning of October to the halfway through November or whatever it is during that period of time. We're completely capable of that. Are we not, Ron? Oh, we're completely capable. And especially when it comes to like bird migrations, because we've dealt with this before. It's not even just intensity and color temperature. It's also changes too, right? Like the birds aren't going to hang around if the temperature, if the color temperature and the intensity continually change. So even, even if you change to say 1900 and drop the intensity, but they found the birds still hanging out, you can change that, you know, every five minutes or every 10 minutes, you can tweak the color temperature and tweak, tweak the intensity. And that's enough to usually keep the birds taken off because they don't want to hang out because they don't get comfortable. So we've dealt with that a little bit in some installations where we've uplit like electric towers where cities wanted to restore. Oh, you're talking um, about getting rid of uh, nuisance wildlife. 
Yes. Well, okay, yeah, but I, I it was, was the same, it was the same yeah. thing. It's the same purpose. It's about, a cue. Yeah. It's a yes. cue, right? Yeah. It's this idea of using lighting as a cue or a non-cue, right? So, yep. you know, um, I, I mean, I, I hate to bring up turtles because everyone loves the damn turtles, but, the, you know, the stink beetles matter too, okay? Yep. But, you know, yep. the turtle going the wrong way because of the 5,000K light on the wall of Sobeys or whatever grocery store it is, it's a tragedy, you know, when you think about it. Um, yep. But, yes, I mean, what I'm saying is, Using controls, you can figure out ways to solve these kinds of problems and experiment. Absolutely. Yep. 100%. And we're not doing that. I don't know why. No. I don't know why. It's, I, I'm sure it's money. I'm sure at the end of the day, it's it's money. I, it should. I don't be, think it is sure money. That's what it is. I don't think it is. I. You know what? Everything's money. Money. This or that or whatever. Maybe. Maybe it's money. Let's think about it for a second. Maybe it's marketing. That's the problem. Yep. I, you know, rather than be like that, let, I don't like the idea generally in podcasts. Oh, nobody listened to your podcast. That's because people are stupid. No, maybe it's because your podcast isn't that interesting. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, or, you know, I don't like the idea that people are dumb um, or that people have short attention spans or whatever, because, you know, this is not being listened to. Or I also don't like the idea that people don't have enough money. I don't think that's always the answer. I think in the, the I don't think there's anyone in the lighting industry that's advertising this. Like let me give you an example. Uber is not that complicated an idea. Okay? Right. You have Google Maps, you got a GPS thing on your phone. We're going to yep. connect the person that wants a ride with the person who doesn't want the ride. We're going to overlay it on some mapping program from some company and we're going to make a billion dollars. Okay, great. Yep. Very simple. The principles are the same in this. What I'm saying is if we were to be able to give users, scientists, uh, city managers, other types of people that investigate why, how, if crimes are committed, these groups control over municipal lighting to try different things, I think they would use it. I just don't think any company's offering that right now. Yeah, so I think I don't. A lot of companies aren't. I know there are a couple who who are trying to, um, but I think the bigger, I think one of the bigger issues is getting the cities on board, like really getting the cities on board. Because when they send this stuff out to bid, and they're sending out, hey, we want to replace two thousand streetlights, they're sending out their RFP, and I guarantee right now their RFPs don't include controls, right? So it needs to start at the top. The city needs to say, we're making a conscious effort. We are going to do this. The RFP goes out with the controls. That's going to force the manufacturers, if they want to play ball on that project, to have to do it. And right now, they're they're not doing that. So at the end of the day, if three people bid on it, the city takes the lowest bid. They're going to get whatever fifty six hundred Kelvin, you know, light fixture they get with no controls because there wasn't anything specified in that request for proposal. So it needs to start at the top for them to sort of force the manufacturers and. It, it, Everyone sort of needs to step up is really what I think it comes down to. I think so. PNNL does a lot of research on controls, a lot of great research where they have, a, I think they have a center where they're comparing different types of control systems and all this sort of stuff. They're doing wonderful work all inside. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that 
when I talk to them is like, we're looking for the business case. We're looking for, you know, user experience and how easy it is to commission and all this sort of stuff. And we want to get away from having, you know, professionals commission. We want it to be so easy to use that anyone can commission it. And I think that's the wrong approach. Yeah. They're trying to, they have technology that they don't have a problem for. Right. That the, right. there's no problem to solve because quite frankly, and I know this is, you know, not, what every controls person wants to hear, but most people just want their lights off and be able to dim it, you know? And if you could give them, you know, ability to tune it, they probably would tune it once or twice a year or something, but there's no real professional interest in the information that the controls or there isn't enough money in the information that the monitoring of the lighting can, can, can do on inside. But I, I keep saying that there's a ton of reasons on the outside. You could use your lighting controls to monitor how many people are walking down the street. You could, yep. there's a, using aux sensors and there's just yep. so many different reasons that are, some of them are even creepy that, you know, yeah. where, you know, you could get into big brother type monitoring yep. with, with this kind of thing. And there's all manner of different sociologists and criminologists would be super interested in the ways that you compare the different lighting systems and how people in similar neighborhoods with completely different, you could even do triple blind where you do this neighborhood first, then you try this yep. one. Oh, there's actually less crime in this one. Let's switch it for a while and see what happens. Right. Yep. To make sure that is true. Yep. For me, I just don't think the lighting industry is, is working on the right problem, Ron. Yeah. No, I, I, I think you're, you know, you're definitely on to something there, right? Because they're not, they're not putting stock into that. And whether they don't think, there's going to be two reasons for that, right? You take every manufacturer and corporate's going to say, well, we're not being asked for it. So we're not going to do it because it's going to, right? So they're not going to do it because they're not being asked for it. And the other side is they're just not thinking of it because they're not thinking about these larger use cases. They're just selling fixtures. I got, we're just spitballing and think of the stuff we came up with. They were spitballing on a live podcast. We're not sitting around with a whole bunch of people that actually, you know, that have other types of unique knowledges from different fields. I mean, the, the connected city to me is a connected lighting city. That's to me what it is. And even comes down to providing internet access, you know, with through Li-Fi. You, I mean, yep. th- there's all manner, one-way Li-Fi, two-way Li-Fi at bus stops. The, the, just yep. the, the applications are endless for outdoor lighting and controls and different types of things. And I, I just don't understand like, where the, why the lighting industry keeps banging its head against the wall with the interior lighting controls argument when the exterior one is... The other thing, too, is collecting information. You don't need people's permission to collect certain types of information when someone is walking down a city street the city is allowed right. to 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 just automatically use certain types of information you know what i'm saying yeah. yep i mean there's just to me the outdoor connected city connected lighting all this sort of stuff is let's just do all the outdoor lighting first for all the reasons that are that that exist uh, for animal health, human health, dark skies, darkness preservation, uh, monitoring, and <laughs> just energy efficiency. It all works outside. I said it over and over again, Ron. Um, 
are there any final? We went 34 minutes, but are there any final thoughts um, from a controls perspective and the spitballing we just did? And what do you think? No, I mean I like it. I think you're right, and I think there's a there is a huge use case for it. Uh, you know, outside versus inside. But yeah, I mean the biggest thing is getting the municipalities on board. If you can get one municipality on board to really do this and implement it, I, it, it wouldn't be that hard, right? It, the technology's in their streetlights now, in their, you know, their, their uh, stoplights, right? Mm-hmm. The technology's there. This wouldn't be that big of a deal, I feel like, for them to do. They've already got the wiring to all of the hubs for all the streetlights. So how hard would it be? Or, for, you know, the stoplights. So take that to the streetlights and go from there. And it, it, it's absolutely doable it makes a ton of sense and then get the manufacturers on board. And if you can get one city to do it, get the the case study for it, you could get a ton of people to buy in. You know, the other thing too is um, you could even get critical, like people in private sector, critical areas to mm-hmm. connect their lights to the same system. And so they have intermittent control over the parking lot lights in a certain area or whatever it is. It, this is not, um, this is a matter of will not technology, right. not, uh, we already have it all. Like all the technology yep. exists. It's just a matter of yep. de- the will to deploy that technology. Yep. I mean, California already has demand response. So for interior, right? So just move it to the exterior as well. It's absolutely, it's already there. Whew. Ron Kuzmar, a fun one. I'm not sure how the Restoring Darkness crowd is going to get this one because it got a little bit lighting dorky, but that's what we're trying to do on the Restoring Darkness podcast. We're trying to go from the, you know, hey, we did a lot of episodes on why and the pain and suffering caused by light pollution to try to make the point, folks, that light pollution is pollution. If you haven't got that by now, then don't listen to the show. No, no, I'll keep listening. I'm just joking. But if you haven't got the point that light pollution is pollution, well, we've established that in the first 35 episodes of this show. Now we're trying to say, why aren't we doing anything about this? This is not like, you know, um, you know, climate change. It's not like plastics in the ocean and some of these other very intractable problems where we require the develop research and development. We already have all the technology. Let's go lighting industry. Let's get this thing done. Folks, I know I speak on behalf of Ron when I tell you all, thank you for listening. Bye for now. Look no further for dark sky friendly products than Evluma. Since its first product launch, Evluma has carried one or more International Dark Sky Association certified models. If your customer cares about light pollution, suggest the Omnimax with shielding or the Ariamax with full cutoff to reduce uplight and glare. Evluma, illuminating the pursuit of darkness.